trust me, no one gets this more than someone whose title is director of joy and work, that there are some days where it just feels ironic. Hello and welcome to the BMJ podcast. I'm Kat Chatfield, the Quality Improvement Editor, and we're currently at the International Forum for Quality and Safety in Healthcare in Glasgow, where we've been talking about joy at work, and we've managed to grab some time in a slightly noisy corner of the conference to talk to our guests. Hi, I'm Grace McLachlan, Editorial Registrar at the BMJ, and joining Kat and I is Jessica Perlow, Director of Joy at Work at the IHI. Jessica, can you introduce yourself? Happy to. Thanks for having me here. So my name is Jessica and I'm a director at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, where we are working on joy in work, which sometimes makes people cringe, actually, because it feels like a very far way away from where they are. Um, But really what we're focusing on is this issue that's coming up a lot in healthcare of burnout. But we're doing it with an asset-based approach. We're really trying to promote joy and satisfaction and well-being and all of those things that this this podcast is focused on. So that's the hope. And James, do you want to introduce yourself? Thank you. So I'm James Mountford. I'm the editor of BMJ Leader. Uh, But my day job, my main day job is uh, as the director of quality at the Royal Free London, which is one of the larger trusts within the English NHS. And in terms of your work, Jessica, what have you found to be the main reasons for burnout or the main ways to try and decrease that through joy at work? Oh, wow. Well, there's so many things that, that we can do. Yeah. And it is, it's so sad, too, when you hear about junior doctors and residents burnt out. Um, in the U.S., we have obviously issues around um, depression and suicide. And this is increasingly on people's radars. Um, we also, we also know just in the U.S. alone, there's 50% of all U.S. physicians are burnt out. Um, some, some characteristics of emotional dis- exhaustion, excuse me, depersonalization, cynicism. So really what we're talking about um, are, are not things uh, to put more pressure on those individuals, right? Like these really well-intentioned well-being programs that are great, you know, that mindfulness-based stress reduction and gym memberships, all these things are wonderful. But what we're trying to do is actually address the system um, and the system's issues that are contributing to burnout. Um, and so there's lots of things that can be done and lots of teams we've worked out, worked with, like James's, who um, have made strides to, to actually start to improve some of these issues. And really, there's four steps that we focus on. The first is committing to have conversations, just as we're asking our our staff to do with patients around what matters to you, not just what's the matter with you. Um, We're we're asking folks to ask this of one another. So the first step is really ask what matters, um, to identify really what makes for a good day with your colleagues. Um, The second step is then start to identify the unique local impediments that might be getting in the way of that. So these are things you might guess, things that are getting in the way of meaning and choice and camaraderie and equity, really foundational elements. Um, The third is just committing to a a systems approach to improving that. So all levels, individuals, teams, and senior leaders have a part to play. Um, Using improvement methodology is our fourth step. So really just starting small with tests of change and then scaling up from there. And ultimately what we see are quadruple aim um, results. Really we're seeing an improvement in patient care ultimately because happier uh, providers, create better, happier outcomes and happier patients. So, And in terms of assessing that, you said that it does affect patient outcomes and it does reduce burnout. How do you 
measure that? Yeah, so so typically um, people are looking at the bottom line. So it costs about a million U.S. dollars to replace one physician. So there's a real ROI with this work. Yeah, I mean, uh, the what people are typically measuring is turnover because it's costly. Um, also, serious safety events are linked with um, uh, burnout. But there's lots of ways to measure this. The the key. Um, thing is to, to measure often to supplement your your existing data. Everyone has like a staff satisfaction survey, a pulse survey, a press gainy, um, some existing survey they're using. Um, but we ask them to supplement this with something that will give them a little bit more information about what's going on locally a little bit more frequently. So lots of different ways people have done this. There are really, really helpful apps out there to measure. Have you had a good day? You could put pebbles in a jar, a color for a good day, a color for a, a day that you had more setbacks. Um, just simple paper surveys, lots of ways to just kind of get more information, share that transparently so people know here's what here's what's coming up for folks to really honor the fact they've shared with you. Um, and then keep looking at this over time and share as you're, as you're co-creating solutions together, share how that's going. So that's the, the quick overview of measurement. So Jess, I, I, when I think about that in translation to the world that people feel like they're working in these days there can often be quite a gap and one of the things we're struggling with is, is the the language of joy in a world where people are often feeling anything but joy uh, can play both ways and I just wondered if you had a bit of ad advice about that yeah yeah I mean Trust me, no one gets this more than someone whose title is director of joy and work, that there are some days where it just feels ironic. Um, and I get that. I totally get that. And I'm also not trying to encourage people to use language that's not resonating for them locally. So um, we like joy and work at IHI because it harkens back to Edwards Deming, who said that this is management's overall aim to create systems in which um, employees feel joy at work. Um, but uh, the National Academy of Medicine uses well-being. Um, we worked with Imperial College. They used meaningful interactions. Really use whatever language works for you to get the work done that matters to you. Yeah. So one of the things we found uh, at the Royal Free among colleagues of all types, actually, is that the good thing about using the word joy is that you get a reaction. Almost sometimes the worst thing is just nothing. So some people, it really resonates, and they say, my God, you know, why should we not aspire to be joyful in our job firstly we spend too much time working not to be and secondly you know why did we choose healthcare as a as a profession it probably wasn't for the the money um and so you know that connection from a job well done in it with a with a, a a team that supports you and and you support you know that those things should bring joy and then on the other side and you know, perhaps certain stereotypical staff groups might more play to this to this other side. Um, but, you know, you, you then get the door open to say, well, you know, why would we do this? What might be the benefits? And then you get into the stuff about, you know, people feeling a sense of connection to their job, a sense of purpose, a sense of, you know, belonging to the organization and, and a connection to it. Um, and then, you know, you can talk about the money side of it if you like the business case for joy which is something i think you should you should author the roi on the roi of joy yeah, yeah there you go precisely i'm not saying we would definitely publish that but i'd certainly be interested in reading it <laughs> and then there's something behind this about you know i, I was reading a paper by um the 
Carnegie Foundation and Julia Unwin the other day. Um, and it talks about the place of kindness in public policy. And you think, well, that sounds terribly fluffy and 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 then you you read it and she's got this wonderful diagram of the uh, of a left-hand side which is all about um uh, transactional um and 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 the sort of hard traditional management metrics and then the right-hand pathway which is a relational pathway where kindness belongs and she's not saying that one or the other is what we need what she's saying is that we have an imbalance towards massively overemphasizing the left-hand pathway and that there's a case for 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 more balance absolutely yeah i was so grateful that you sent me that article actually because i think it got to the heart of all of this work really, which is relationships. And I think today we've moved so much towards transactional relationships and really what we're trying to do is move towards more mutuality, more co-creation, just acknowledging that there are people in this work um, who are very busy, but who, to James's point, have a lot of connection to meaning and purpose here. And we just really need to get out of the way of that. So I have a question around um, something that Gress was referring to earlier, um, and that's around fantastic if you are in an organization that's working with the IHI or an organization like the Royal Free that's really um, taken on Joy at Work as a core strand of their business but what if you are experiencing this pressure and this loss of joy on an individual or a team level I mean how do you how do you influence your organization to kind of get involved in this work you know yeah. Well, my, we get this question a lot because when we first started this work, we thought we'd work with leaders like James. And and we have a lot of individuals who are coming to us who are really forward-thinking leaders who are making this priorities for their organizations. And then we have this whole swath of individuals um, and teams who are worried about their own joy um, and who are burnt out. And I think um, it can be really, really challenging when everything's stacked against you. And we've uh, kind of under-intentionally de- uh, prioritize that pressure that we put on individuals to work on their own well-being. But I think sometimes, especially in healthcare, we're kind of the last to put our oxygen masks on first. You know, that whole thing I think was created for physicians. Um, Yeah, there's this culture of infallibility that you're not supposed to need or that you're immune to the same physiology you've studied your whole life. Um, And so the work to kind of take care of ourselves so that we can bring our our whole selves to the work um, and engaging other people in the work with us so that when our energy wanes, when we get pulled in other directions, we're not the only ones leading this. So um, my advice to individuals who are coming to us is is to create your network of people who can do this with you and to take an organizing approach to really kind of have conversations to get back to, well, what what are people's values in the room? Why did we get into this to begin with? And then, okay, what do we want to see happen together? And what are we willing to devote to this, um, given that we're also slammed with other priorities? I think I think to follow on from that would be James as a leader, as Jess has as as attributed to. Um, how do you try and get this change, this culture change? How do you get the trainees to buy into that, or your trust grades to buy into that? Your consultants who maybe think joy, whatever. That must be quite difficult. Tell us a bit about that. So I think that you need to get quickly down to conversations within the team about what it is that would be the pebbles in their shoes and where are the opportunities to remove them um, while recognizing that there are some big things that are much harder to change. So, you know, we're a London hospital, one of the absolute 
recurrent things is around parking and space. Um, and, you know, we have facilities that were essentially built without rest areas for, for, for staff. So those are things that are really, really hard to change in the short term. And accepting that, then you think, well, what are the things that we can control and things that we can change in the shorter term? So a piece of work, there's actually a poster downstairs, which uh, the matron who's led the work is proudly presenting. And, and, and Sean has been telling me, you know, the number of people who are coming up to talk to him about his poster on that this is to do with nursing and the retention of qualified nurses in the ICU. So the brief story there, and this has been a, a real inspiration for a much broader piece that we're now working on around joy in work, was that we had 40% turnover of qualified nurses each year. And you can imagine the disruption uh, to, you know, everything with that, not least <clears throat> patient safety actually from the continuity of, of staff and the amount of agency uh, to be used and the cost of that um, and so we asked this question that Jess said or rather Sean and his colleagues started asking the question what matters to you what matters to us and then trying to group that and think about well what are the things that we can do to see more of the things that matter to us it turned out that many of those things were relatively simple so they were things like being clear about what professional development people were going to get and then making sure that we followed through on that having more access to mentorship um, and and present local leadership for for conversations and then the most important of all was predictability of scheduling so it turns out that people have commitments and lives outside of their work who knew um, and that it's really helpful to know which weekends you're going to have to ask your parents to look after your children or when you can go and visit friends or whatever. So moving to a self-service uh, e-scheduling has probably been the single biggest difference. Now, was that where the conversation started? No. How did we get there? By asking the question and then using the method of improvement to, to get there. And where have we got to? So from 40 to now stably, and there's you know, several months of run stable between 15 and 19% um, turnover. So that's a, a real success story that you can measure in staff satisfaction, in money, and in patient impact as well. One of the things that you mentioned there, James, is about uh, space for staff to rest and recuperate in, and this is something that the BMJ Wellbeing campaign is about, hashtag give us a break. This is a huge thing in the NHS, particularly we're not as large as America, so some of our hospitals are smaller, et cetera, et cetera. How much of an issue do you think this is in the States or any of the healthcare systems that, that you've seen and had a look at in terms of having a safe space for doctors, nurses, allied health professionals, and what sort of impact do you think that has? Yeah, yeah, I, I know that it's true in, in certainly in Boston, we hear a lot of this. I think one of the ways we've thought about this is in the need to prioritize first and foremost, the physical safety and psychological safety of our staff. That's a precondition to this work. So it's um, injuries in healthcare are 30 times greater than other industries, including manufacturing. Um, it is less safe to be an ED physician in Manhattan than a cab driver, a taxi driver. So there's work that we need to do to make sure people feel safe and meet those sort of those like basic Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, where um, people just really want to have a space where they feel safe, 
Um, they want to come together. They want to work together with colleagues who respect them and who are treating them fairly. We were talking a little bit about this with um, addressing issues around sexism and ableism, um, racism. So there's, there's really foundational work to do before we can start to make inroads other places. I was shocked when we were working with a radiology practice um, where I won't name where, um, <laughs> and they, you know, we asked what was going on, similar to what James has done um, with Royal Free, and they said, we just want water breaks, bathroom breaks during the day, really foundational things that needed to be addressed first before we were going to start to talk about camaraderie or teamwork or things like that. So yeah, unfortunately, a common experience across, across the pond. So perhaps just to, to close, a, a, a thought about the context in England and the policy uh, angle on this and, and the long-term plan. So there's a group that's looking at workforce. Um, but when I read the long-term plan, the thing that just jumps out from every page and every initiative is it's great, but if we don't have the people in number or in spirit to do it and people who are not just coming to work, but people who are, it's a bit of a cliche, but bringing their whole selves to work, then you know those that's what we need to have a shot of, of this uh, actually being being successful and w what I find really interesting is when you look uh, which we've done a little bit at corporations so you know the the organizations that are supposed to be the most kind of hard-nosed and the most hot on management you know, so, so what you see is that the best performers really understand the proposition to employees and do what they need to do to treat them well whether that's rest areas or food or you know maybe different in in different places but um, you know this is where this business case for investing in the workforce is is seen very clearly i don't think they're doing it because they're kind i think they're doing it because it's good business exactly that so i think the takeaway messages are put on your own oxygen mask first think about the fundamentals of what your employees want and if you're a leader in healthcare ask people what their pebbles are. Thanks very much, guys. So that's all for this podcast. If you're interested in Joy at Work, you might be interested in our campaign on wellbeing. Have a look at the website, bmj.com forward slash wellbeing. Links in the text. And you'll also see a lot of this on our social media. You can join our BMJ Wellbeing Facebook group uh, and also uh, follow our Give Us a Break campaign on Twitter. I'm Greta McLachlan. And I'm Kat Chatfield. Thanks for listening. Bye.